Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here with episode 59 with Jeff McManus. And here at the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, we try to get a good variety of folks who are both practitioners and trainers, sort of doers and thinkers. And so Jeff is absolutely both of those. And it's cool how he's got some fantastic, really in the trenches or in the weeds, if you will, leadership experiences with his people and how he's sort of crystallized his thinking and insights along the way. So I think you're in for a treat hearing from his unique perspective as the director of landscape services at Ole Miss and and how he's rallied those team members to do more with less in some some really cool ways. So you're going to learn, one, a powerful storytelling approach to connect your team to a larger purpose. Two, how to massively stretch the impact of your learning and development dollar. And three, why you might not want to fire that underperformer just yet. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep59 or... If you'd like the wisdom from Jeff and the other 58 guests before and all the guests to come, then sign up for the Gold Nugget email list over at uh, awesomeatyourjob.com and there you'll get a quick email with each guest's uh, takeaway wisdom insight summaries that you can read in under two minutes. So here's a quick bit about Jeff. Jeff McManus grows things. As the director of landscape services at the University of Mississippi, he grows plants, he grows people, he grows ideas. Taking his ground staff, affectionately known as weeders, and developing them into leaders has been a joyous challenge that reaped acres of rewards in the form of national recognition by the Princeton Review, PGMS, Newsweek and every faculty, staff, student, and visitor who has walked onto the Ole Miss campus. Building on that momentum, Jeff has designed a professional development plan for his weeders called Landscape University, a replicable training program that promotes the individual's innate ability to grow. Jeff has spoken at Caterpillar Inc., the Biltmore Estates, LeaderCast, SRAPPA, Trent Lott Leadership Institute, as well as the SEC Ole Miss Athletics. He has also worked with Memphis University, the University of Tennessee, the University of Georgia, and private firms in developing their own training programs. Here's Jeff. Jeff, thanks so much for being here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, glad to be with you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And I think that you've got such an interesting, fun, fresh perspective. So your thing is that you grow things as the Director of Landscape Services at the University of Mississippi, but you're also interested in in developing, growing people. Can you tell tell us maybe the backstory for how this intersection came about and became a real passion area for you? Well, I've I've always enjoyed uh, growing plants and in that aspect and, and doing things, and I've managed large properties and always focus on the technical part of growing, uh, how to grow really beautiful properties. I've maintained some high-end resorts and a large campus, and we've won some national awards. But I found that I was spending a lot of time repeating myself and constantly in the technical part, getting the results and getting the actions. And I was not focusing so much on getting people's core beliefs the same. So I started focusing on growing people, their thoughts and getting their perspective and and sitting down 
and just slowing down once a month and literally just having one hour where we just talked about things of core values, things like dependability, trustworthiness, honesty, those kind of things that you don't really get to talk about much in the workplace. And I had a neat aspect of saying, man, this is this is really helping. This is growing us. And when I focused on those beliefs, our actions and our results changed. They actually got better. So I've just ever since then, about five years ago, have really focused on growing people and they grow tremendous plants. Mm. Well, so, and that's fascinating. So when you're sitting down with that one-on-one investing in, so that's an hour one-on-one with a person is what you're talking about there? We usually do, I do small groups, probably anywhere from five to 10 people. I have around 30 people that I'm focusing on at any given time. So I'll literally meet five times once a month. And the way I look at it, Pete, is a lot of people say, well, we don't have time for that. And, and I go, you know, we don't either. But if if we don't service our mowers, if we don't take care of the oil, if we don't do some preventative maintenance, the mower is going to stop and I'm going to have to service it. So I can choose to spend the time in preventative maintenance and do that and invest in my people or I can wait and do it in the end when I start having a lot of drama and and everything else. Abraham Lincoln had a, a, a great quote that I like to say is, you know, if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend six hours sharpening the axe. And I think that's what we do is we're sharpening each other in these meetings. Mm. And that's fascinating is that the, the, so the topic you're tackling is not so much about project management software, you know, but rather it's like <laughs> a virtue or like you said, dependability or trustworthiness. So could you maybe give us a, a sneak peek or a taste? So if you're going to spend an hour uh, with a small group of folks, like five people, and you're going to talk about dependability, you know, what do we do in that hour? And what sorts of things come out on the other end? I believe in walking in wisdom. So I believe in walking around some people who have already gone ahead of me and and figured some of these things out and actually even maybe even written books about them. So I'll tag people like John Maxwell or Zig Ziglar or Les Brown or some of the ones who have some materials out there. And I'll bring them in via DVD or a book. And I'll actually buy everybody on our crew a book mm-hmm. and we'll, I'll give them the option to read. I know not everyone on our team is going to read, but Pete, it's amazing how many do. And when right. you're reading a book, you know, you're, those things are, are happening inside of you. There, there's a process that's going on. And then when we get together, we talk about some of those things or we show the DVD and then we'll just, my job is really just to facilitate questions and, and listen and, Honestly, I feel like giving people a voice at the table, letting them express themselves. There are no right or wrong answers. It's a, it's, we don't get into a lot of technical aspects of landscaping. It's more of, of the virtues or, or, or values. And it's just interesting. It's made us much more productive team because of that. So that's, that's what it looks like as far as, uh, Jeff, like I don't have to spend a lot of time prepping. Because I will use book, I'll read read a little bit, read a chapter a month, and so it's amazing. We've already done four, five, six books in the last five years, so it's been a lot of fun. Mm, a chapter a month, and, and so I'd imagine that that also really goes a long way in terms of folks feeling kind of bonded and connected to to one another as colleagues because they're probably doing I'm thinking about my own book club they're probably doing a bit of sharing in terms of their own lives and experiences and and, and how they they see that reflected in the the book content 
That's true. You're absolutely right. I had one guy who made an observation. He says, we may actually have more influence on these college kids who are working with us on campus than some of the college professors do in the classrooms. And and it's because some of these college kids are sitting in there with us who are student workers. They're being changed by this these conversations. Mm-hmm. They're participating. But our staff are embracing a whole new level of mentorship. They realize that these college kids are looking up to them and realize that five years from now, 10 years from now, this college student could come back and say, hey, it was you that kept me in school. You gave me some advice to stay in school. It was you that changed my life. I'm a better uh, dad. I'm a, I'm a, you know, a better employee because of you. So that whole level of mentorship has gone up because we've talked about it in our groups and what does that look like? And that, yeah, it brings closer. Uh, somebody pointed out to me that Stephen Covey pointed out it was the eighth habit that he added and that was voice. Mm-hmm. It gives people a voice at the table. Oh, that's cool and beautiful. And it doesn't cost a lot of money. You know, you oh, don't have to fire, yes. hire a fancy trainer. You can buy 30 books and that's right. You John Maxwell it. comes to my, he comes here every month. You know, it costs cost $299 to buy his kit and he's here every month. You know, I just push the button and there he is. So it's fine. Yeah, you're right. It's not expensive. It's actually saved us a lot of time. It's saved us. We've been more productive. Our our supervisors tell us, tell me, they don't have near the the issues that they used to have because there's this cooperation and collaboration, the teamwork, the championship team that you want to build, which is unselfishness. The only way you can do that is for people to work on themselves. Quit pointing the finger and saying they're the problem. And when you work on yourself, Pete, I don't know if, if I share just one quick story, but I had mm-hmm. a gentleman who left our organization. He goes, it was a hard decision to leave. He goes, but I'm going to be making more money in this other area. But he goes, I want to tell you this. These meetings we have actually saved my marriage. Hmm. He goes, I used to think it was my wife that was the problem. And then these meetings helped me realize that I needed to work on myself. Now, Pete, some people say, well, why are you working on somebody on the personal level? I didn't. It mm-hmm. was what he did. He internalized it and he became a better husband, therefore became even a better employee for us. Oof. Oh, that is, that's powerful and interesting. And so could you maybe make it a bit real for the, the skeptic or the ROI seeker uh, listener here in terms of the, the supervisors mentioned that they, they see you know, less in terms of, of problems. So could you, Spell that out a little bit in terms of, you know, whereas before we saw X, now we're seeing much less of that, or now we're seeing Y. We had a gentleman who just came to work for us, and we put him with another a seasoned worker. The seasoned worker's job was to show him around and, and help him and get him to know the ropes, so to speak. The seasoned worker came in after a week and says, you got to fire this guy. This guy's terrible. He doesn't know what he's doing. He just, he's just, he stays right behind me, two feet. Everywhere I'm weed eating, running the weed eater, he's right there behind me. He's double weed eating everything and he mm. won't, he won't do what I say. So we stopped and we looked at what we were doing and we realized this guy was scared to death. He was going to make a mistake. And I realized, okay, if these two guys are weed eating the same time, the same space, they're not being productive. We're being half as productive as we should be. So we slowed down. And we spent time 
working with the seasoned employee and saying, your role is the mentor. You've got to get him comfortable where he's not afraid to make a mistake. It turns out the guy, the new guy, is now one of our best operators. If we'd have fired him, we would have lost a tremendous amount of experience. We'd have lost a great employee, and we'd have just lost somebody who's just been excellent at what he does. But we had to stop for a minute and and realize that we weren't giving our seasoned employee the right tools or the right mindset on how, how to handle this person. So I feel like stories like that, it's hard to put an ROI on that, but I can tell you our equipment costs have gone down hmm. because people buy into servicing their equipment. The accountability, Pete, has gone up tremendously amongst our team. It used to be I had to be the one holding everybody accountable for quality. People feel empowered. And so now they go, you know, that's not the Ole Miss standard. That's not how we do it here. And so that quality goes up. So the accountability, I'm able to do more things now today than I've ever been. And we're doing more uh, acreage and maintaining more than we ever have. I started with 31 people. I only have 33 now. And so it, we have taken on uh, probably close to a hundred acres of high maintenance in that time. And we've, we've been able to do it because of the buy-in of our team and what they do. So that it's hard to quantify that ROI, but I can tell you from personal testimony, it has been a, it's been a game changer for us. Oh, that's so cool. And, and I can't resist. I'm going to take a crack at quantifying. So your team went up by about 7%, 31 to 33. And how much did your acreage go up? That was an extra 100 acres. What were you doing before? Well, what we typically do is that we landscape an area, we beautify it. So it goes from what we call a, a level four or five, and now it goes up to a level two, which means it needs more maintenance. It needs more hand touches. It needs more visits, more times there to trim. So our level of maintenance has gone up on mm-hmm. those hundred, you know, so estimated close to around a hundred acres now that we're touching that before we never had to touch as many times. Oh, I see. So the total touches, you know, might be like double what it used to yes. be. Yes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been a game. It's, it really has been uh, fun to see people buy in. You know, you want to go from the mentality of a taking people from a paycheck to a passion so that they have a purpose in why they're here. If they have a bigger purpose, that intrinsic motivation, you don't have to dangle the carrots in front of them to try to get people to work and say, well, if you'll do this, I'll give you more money. People want to know that their job matters and what they do matters. They want to do something for a bigger purpose. And so we've, we've worked on that in that leader to leader class on what the purpose is and how, what they do is extremely important. Mm. And so when you're talking about that, you know, finding and the purpose and connection. So I want to know, how do you unlock that or connect that? I imagine it's bigger than just coming up with a cool mission or vision statement. How do you get that connection between they're doing sort of groundskeeping work and that has a big, powerful, motivating purpose for them? Well, we tell a lot of stories. We mm-hmm. tell stories and usually on our Monday morning meetings, I'll tell just a brief 15-second story and the story might sound like this. Today, somebody may visit our campus for the very first time who's trying to decide if they're going to come here or not and they'll make a decision in the first few minutes. That person may go on and cure cancer. So in a small way, we know 
that you may be responsible for helping cure cancer. You see, because we know that 62% of prospective college students will decide within the first few minutes of a college visit if they're going to come to your school based on the appearance. Mm. And so that's us. That's what we do. And so our guys start realizing, you know, we don't just cut grass. We actually may be helping uh, put people into space. Bill Parson used to work at NASA. He was the director of NASA. So he is an alumni here of Ole Miss. Well, those are the kind of people we're recruiting. So we're helping put people in space. We have a little thing called football here. We're in the (laughs) SEC. We're helping our coaches recruit top athletes to perform at a high level. And we'll have our football coaches come down and talk. We'll have our baseball coaches come. We'll have professors come and talk to our team, letting them know what a game changer they are to the campus, that they recruit faculty, they recruit staff, and one of the things they want to do is get them to have a campus visit because of how pretty the campus is. And so that starts adding that significant purpose. We talk about mentoring with students, how their life is more important, that they could change a person's life by the way they treat them and how they speak into their lives. Those are some of the things, the core values that we talk about. Our our vision is two words, super simple. It's called cultivating greatness, cultivating greatness. We do that outside. We cultivate it so that we recruit these young brains, these great professors that will go on and do great things. We're cultivating it. But it also has another meaning. We're cultivating greatness with each other. We're changing each other's lives in these leader-to-leader meetings by helping one another. Cultivating greatness is a powerful two-word vision that we use quite a bit here. Mm. That's so fun. You also have another piece that you talk about in terms of GROW, which is an acronym, G-R-O-W. Can you walk us through what is that and how does that get applied? Well, I was getting asked to, to speak quite a bit in places. And, and, and so that's, I, I figured I need to figure out what my philosophy is. And, and so what I've done is made it into a simple acronym of GROW. And this is our 30,000 foot level. This is what I teach to CEOs and managers and, and leaders that the G is for greatness. One is give yourself permission to be great at whatever you do. And so we talk a lot about that in our, in our landscape. Uh, area here of being great, being one of the best of the best. So we talk about greatness. And then we talk about to get to greatness, you're going to encounter so many challenges. You're going to encounter failure. So you've got to have the R, which is resiliency. You know, Napoleon Hill said one of the most common causes of failure is the habit of quitting when one is overtaken by temporary defeat. And so resiliency to come back to stand up, to to push through it is critical. And so that leads to more and more opportunities, opportunities and challenges. As you get through one, the next one pops up. And we can either take them lemons and, and whine about them or we can make lemonade. And so opportunities, uh, some of the things that we were running against is consistency. We wanted consistency across the campus, a high level of consistency and productivity. And we needed things done with passion and and with a good eye for detail. So it actually created Landscape University for us. And then the last one is 
the W, walking in wisdom. And I've shared a lot about that with you, but it's getting other people around us who have already walked ahead of us and help grow us from within to grow those values, to grow those beliefs so that we're, we realize that we're not just here to do a job, but we have a purpose and a passion, which is more than any paycheck or pension. So it's a simple aspect of grow there. Greatness, resiliency, opportunity, and wisdom. Oh, that's, that's great. And so I focus on resiliency right now because I can, I could see how we talked about the wisdom piece and opportunity. You're sort of providing it and, and encouraging folks to, to take on some more. So how do you, how do you build the resiliency part? Resiliency here on campus. When I first came here, we have on game day, a beautiful center part of the campus called the Grove. It's just picture a green lush park with beautiful stately oak trees. Just picture Old South, and it's just gorgeous. It's just beautiful. But on game day, we have it full from end to end with people picnicking and tailgating. And when they leave, Mm -hmm. they leave a huge deposit of litter. Mm. And our staff would be the ones in charge of coming in. So they would come in on Sundays, and there's litter from one end to the other end, and they're dragging their shoulders and their woe is me and the the local newspaper would come out and take pictures and you poor little fellas come on you little buckaroos you can do it and it was kind of this wah wah poor us look at poor pitiful us nobody cares about us the poor grove and i'm like winners aren't whiners winners find a way to win And so we started getting our teams together, our groups together in small groups. And we were saying, Hey, how can we turn this, this lemon into a lemonade? How can we make this something? And it was the team coming together as a group, finding solutions. And, and, and I go into this more, but I'll, I'll just cut to the chase here. We ended up using nonprofit organizations outside of campus, like the Navy ROTC groups and the, Baptist Student Union and some of the other student groups, and we pay their organizations, they come in with a hundred or so students at midnight with us, with a handful of our team. We clean this place up in about an hour to three hours, depending on how big the game. And now our guys take so much pride in it. They're, they're actually look forward to football season. They're excited. And it was such a neat turnaround that actually the New York Times put us in the story of the old Miss Grove. We actually made it in there and um, was just a, a neat way to showcase that resiliency, to persevere, stick through it. And hey, who knows, you might even make it into the New York Times. Oh, oh, that's that's so good. Well, I mean, I got to say, as we're, as we're chatting through this, you know, it feels like a little bit just like a, a, like a utopia. Or, uh, almost like a fantasy land as to, as to how wonderful it is. But I'm sure day in, day out, there are some challenges, some headaches, some frustrations, some irritants about kind of putting this into practice and, and, and helping sort of shepherd people along the growth. So could you maybe get real with us on some of the, the, the tough parts of, of putting this into practice and, and what things you found have been helpful in persisting through them? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, day to day, we still have challenges. Here's the great part about having those challenges, though. It's not just me fixing it now. The culture, as we work together because we're, we're aligned with our core beliefs on what we, what we're 
doing our purpose for being here. It used to be, Pete, we had a lot of drama and a lot of, uh, one of my guys called them drama queens. <laughs> and, uh, and I would say, boy, I wish those people out there would just quit being this drama and the rumors. And I'd be pointing my finger like I wish they would stop. And I didn't realize I had three fingers pointing back at me and realize I'm the problem. I'm mm-hmm. the problem for not being proactive in trying to change the culture. So I started all this by just seeing if I could change a culture. Could I be proactive, just like I'm proactive in a lot of things in planting and the things that we do and and we hit the seasons? Could I do this and actually make it where it's not going to be a perfect culture? Nature doesn't give us perfect culture, but could it be a culture of growth? Could I cultivate it enough to put in good seeds so the good seeds grow and actually become stronger and push out the weeds, push out the drama, push out those negativities. And yes, we go through challenges. We, we still have challenges, but they're not to any degree of what they used to be. Productivity's gone up. Job satisfaction's very high. And so we do a survey once a year to see where we are on, on job satisfaction. You know, we still have things we need to work on. We better. I mean, if we're not, we're not growing. We're not doing what we need to do. So most people I show this to and do are a little hesitant because they, they don't want to invest the time Mm. to develop the team. They don't feel comfortable. And I'm going to tell you, I was scared the first time I tried this. I was nervous. I was like, man, these guys are going to laugh. They're going to reject this. So I just pushed through that. I pushed through that, got, had to get the courage and do it. It's been a game changer. I, I do this for other people now. I, I help them do it with their teams and, and help that. I am not hesitant to bring in outside speakers, to bring in anybody I can to help with the message. That's the one thing I think managers and leaders and owners forget. They think they're out there alone or they, they can't afford it or they just don't don't think about getting a resource to come and help come alongside of them. I'm telling you, it's a, it can be a real help to have somebody introduce some topics and say some things that get you in discussions that help resolve issues. Mm-hmm. And so I guess when it comes to the investment piece, that makes sense is that you've said, we don't have time for that. Well, we don't have time either. So you're noticing that, it is an investment. It does take some time and some effort and some energy and a little bit of money, at least for a book for everybody or, or something. Sure. And so, but you're also seeing, you know, tremendous uh, benefit on, on the back end. So I'd love to get your take on what do you think is maybe ideal or optimal ratio in terms of, so you said Abraham Lincoln said if he had, Six eight hours. hours. If you had eight, eight hours, hours. chop down a tree, he'd spend six hours sharpening his axe. That's right. So, so seventy-five percent of that time, if you will, is on on process or, or development enhancement, and then a quarter on the actual job. So, what's your ratio in terms of the proportion of time folks are are kind of whacking the weeds and and doing the the heavy lifting versus investing in development and, and enhancements of the way they're doing things. Well, what we try to do is we look at it. We try not to look at it like a newspaper where it's in sections. We try to look at it more as more of a, a maybe a garden where we're growing this aspect in everything we do. So, for example, Monday morning, we have a, a meeting with our entire department. It used to be, Pete, that I led the meeting. But I realized I wasn't going to be developing leaders 
and people who are engaged and are not, you know, most people are afraid to speak in front of others. But slowly, everybody now on our crew has led the meeting. That's helped with their leadership skills, their communication skills. So we use it all throughout the culture. Then when we're out in the field and working, those same people are challenged to mentor those other folks. So as far as actual technical training, we probably spend 10% on technical training where we might do classroom training through Landscape University. I may spend 5% of my time growing people in a class leader to leader. And the rest of the time we're outside, you know, making hay, so to speak, and, <laughs> and cultivating greatness outdoors. But, but the key is, it's just the consistency of those times. It, every, every person on our, on our crew, no matter what they're doing, has a calendar. I make a custom-made calendar for them every year that has certain, has all of our football games in it, our our baseball games, special events, when we're going to do critical things, uh, plant our seasonal color, flower bulbs, when we're going to put down mulches, all these technical aspects. But it also has when you're going to lead the meeting, when you're going to be in charge of safety, when you're going to be in charge of what safety talk at the meeting, when you're going to be in charge of doing a plant identification lesson, you're going to teach everybody a new plant or an old plant, and you're going to tell us about it. This forces us into that constant aspect of learning and growing. So we added another twist to that. We started doing Landscape University. That that developed when we saw we needed the consistency in ourselves. So I let our team start developing their standards or their best practices. So we would say, how do we want to do a certain task, say mowing? How are we going to know that when we mow that it's a a success, a win? And so we put our standards in there. It's going to be cut at three inches and we're going to edge this way and weed whacking this way and all these different aspects. What was great was is we got everybody's input on it and then we would formulate it And now we're teaching other universities how to do this. So we've come up with Landscape University Conference that we do the first Wednesday of every April here on campus. And then I'm teaching this across the country, too, to other groups. I'm actually teaching it to other businesses on how to do this stuff. But it's all about investing that little bit of time that makes the big things just work. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like all in, it might be, you know, 10 or or 15 percent of a, a work week, so maybe six hours max of, you know, classroom and leader to leader piece. And then the rest of it's kind of on the job, make it hay and making it sort of better and learning as you're, you're doing the job itself. Yeah, I would, I would say six is probably pretty high. We, you know, you figure 30 minutes on Monday morning and then a leader to leader once a month at an hour and then a, a landscape university class a couple of times a month. So, you know, it's not, that's not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what just a little bit of time can help facilitate communications and uh, better quality and, and getting, just getting everybody on the same page. But I'm not a big meeting person. I don't like to have meetings just for the sake of meetings, but these little touch points really seem to keep us in tune. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Well, I've got many more things I'd, I'd like to ask, but maybe I'll, I'll leave it to you to curate a bit. So can you tell us, is there anything else that you want to make sure to, to share, particularly in terms of the intersection of, of the wisdom you've accumulated along these lines that would apply to your, your typical uh, professional, M- maybe something that's going to be shared in your upcoming book, uh, Weeders to Leaders, or 
anything you got, we'll take it. <laughs> well, thanks, Pete, for mentioning the book. Uh, I am excited. I've I've taken a lot of these philosophies and and stories, and I've put them into a book, uh, Growing Weeders into Leaders. And uh, Morgan and James is going to be publishing that book. Uh, hopefully, it's coming out at the end of the year in December, uh, January, somewhere in that time. We haven't got an official date yet. It's super excited because it goes through the philosophy of, of grow and, and some of the other aspects of defining the wins. But if I had it, I wrote the book to myself at age 24 when I started managing people. Because I had the technical skills in horticulture. I graduated in horticulture and knew how to grow things. Granted, I needed to learn a lot more, but I didn't have the leadership skills to manage people. So here I am managing a high-end resort, and Rick works for me. And Rick's 10 years my senior, and he's been on the property forever and he's the go-to guy in the company. I mean, everybody in the company knows Rick, and it's a big company. We were doing a, a Grand Cypress Resort and the one in Tampa, the the big resort there. And Rick's just the go-to guy, and he looks to me and he goes, Jeff, what do you think about our flower bed here that we just planted? He's standing right there in front of his entire crew. And I go, well, it looks good, Rick, but y'all have got two or three plants right over there on the back that are a little bit out of line. They're just not straight. And Rick's face just dropped. His shoulders dropped. You could just see his facial, this whole body language, just like I I had hit him in the stomach. And he looked at me in the eyes and he dropped everything in his hands on the ground. And he said, I quit. And he turned around and he walked away. And I'm sitting there as a 24-year-old young green manager going, oh, my goodness, the number one go-to guy in the company has just left and it was because of me. And so I wrote this book for God, you know, for me to help. That was one of the things, the aspects that I didn't understand how you talk to people, how they listen to your words, that little sarcastic comments and things like that can really grind on them. Well, thankfully, Rick cooled down and, and came back and and he came back to work. And when we were talking, I said, tell me what happened, Rick. And he goes, well, Jeff, he goes, you do this quite a bit. He goes, you just have these little comments and they just, they really cut and grind us and we don't like it. And so I learned a valuable lesson that that my words matter and I needed to encourage people. I was thinking I didn't want Rick to get the big head, right? I don't want Rick to get the big head and so forth. And, you know, it shows how young and naive I was. So that's, I guess, the go take home message for me is to keep learning, to keep growing. And, and that's where I targeted the book is to continue to grow leaders from the mindset of a weeder. Oh, that is powerful and helpful to bear in mind again and again, just the, the power that those comments have. And ooh, thank you. So, well, now I'd love to hear about some of your favorite things extra quick. Could you start us off by sharing a favorite quote? Wow. I guess the number one go-to quote of mine is, is one of my mentors, Zig Ziglar. You can get everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? I think the, the research that was done on college campuses that determined that how the campus looks is what 62% of the people base their decision on when they come to your college campus. And I don't remember the name of the report, but I do have it written down somewhere. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that, that's, that's powerful and good. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Wow. Lots of great books. I'm I'm a reader. You know, one that really that I go back to often is 
Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill because it helped me so much change my mindset of what I could do. I didn't have to sit under the radar and just be content with one day I'll get a pension, but it gave me that courage to have the passion to do what I want to do. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something that you find yourself using often? Besides the iPhone? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's like the go-to, right? But some of my favorite, I guess my apps is, um, and and I'm not a super techie guy, but I I do enjoy things like Slack. Uh We also run the golf course here, so we've learned had to learn how to do a lot of marketing. We're I'm getting those guys into Snapchat. I have four teenagers, so we're all, you know, I know, I know how to do Snap. <laughs> so oh, good work. That's been kind of my fun <laughs> stuff to try to teach and so forth. Oh, that's fun. And how about a, a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that's boosted your effectiveness? Exercise. Mm-hmm. Exercise. Yeah, just getting up in the morning, running, or going to the gym and working out. Oh, thank you. Game changer. And would you say there's a particular maybe nugget or something that you share that seems to really resonate with folks in terms of getting them to to tweet it or highlight it or really start nodding their heads and taking notes? Is there any kind of quotable Jeff Gold? A while ago, we were talking about resiliency. That's winners aren't whiners. Winners find a way to win. All right. Indeed. And what would you say would be the, the best way to find you? Folks want to check you out, see what you're up to? I'm hanging out quite a bit on my website, jeffmcmanusspeaking.com. And then I'm on the social media. I'm uh, Twitter, Jeff McManus, and LinkedIn. Mm, thank you. And as we kind of wrap up, do you have a parting a call to action or challenge you'd issue to folks seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Don't limit yourself by your job description. Look what you can do to make not only your job, but your field, your industry better. Mm. Okay. Well, Jeff, thank you. This has been so fun, so inspiring. I'm looking forward to to checking out uh, some of the stuff and, and chewing on it. And I wish you tons of luck in what you're up to over there. Pete, thank you. It's always uh, fun to be on a podcast where the host is engaging as you are and you are Tremendous show here that you've done. Thank you. Oh, shucks. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope that just provides an extra dose of inspiration for you, particularly that piece about the preventative maintenance that, you know, if you don't maintain a tool, it's going to break down. And it's the same with people. You got to make a little bit of investment there. And it's it's easy to get caught up. And I'm I'm guilty of it myself. And so I hope that's just a refresher. To, to make that a priority, to make some time, at least a little bit, to invest in your people, to keep them, keep them going and cruising. So thank you for that, Jeff. Again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to the items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep59. And I'd encourage you once again, if you haven't already, please push the subscribe button on your iTunes or your Stitchers or your podcast addict or whatever you're working with there so you don't miss guests like our next one. We've got Pam Fox Rollin. She is another Bain alum like myself, and she has some fantastic wisdom when it comes to taking on your new leadership management director role. She's got rules for those roles that you don't want to break well, at least just not unawares. If you're going to break them, you want to break them sort of with open eyes and a conscientious move. So don't miss her. Episode 60, Pam Fox Rollin. Hope to catch you then. Peace. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.